Hello and welcome to The Five Things This Week in Social. We're bringing you all the latest and greatest updates from around the platforms that you're on the most. So we've got you for the next, mm, I don't know, 25 minutes or so. So slow down. You don't have to chug that rum and coke, cousin Greg. The team is ready to get into it. We've got Amanda Davis and Tommy Boyce here on board. Hi, Amanda. Hey, Joey. I've changed my voice to be uh, more audible for podcasts. So I hope that you enjoy it. Oh, it's perfect. Hello, Tommy. How are you? Hello. I'm not here for this cousin Greg slander. He is a king and we must protect him at all costs. I love Cousin Greg, and I'm Joey Scarillo, if you don't know, and here are the five things. Uh, First up, Amanda's going to tell us about Meta, who is reportedly opening uh, brick-and-mortar AR VR stores. Uh, Then Tommy's going to tell us about Twitter Blue launching in the U.S. Uh, Amanda's going to get into Instagram, who will launch live stream shopping and free holiday shipping. Uh, Tommy's going to talk TikTok. They published their holiday campaign guide. And finally, Tommy will bring it home with Facebook, who added creator monetization tools in response to fees from Apple. All right, let's get into it. Amanda, talk to us about what's going on. Can we walk into a meta store? All right, another week, another story about the metaverse. This is our new normal, guys. So this is reported by the New York Times. It's not confirmed yet, but I trust them um, a lot. Meta may be opening a retail brick-and-mortar location with the goal of, quote, making the world more connected. So again, we'll zoom out for context. Meta has announced their um, investment in creating a connected metaverse of the future, And when we think about metaverse, um, you know, it's easy to think of our, you know, AR, VR worlds that eventually will come. But really all the technology that will get us there is built to connect physical and digital experiences. So again, our IRL experiences and our digital experiences, we want them to feel like we are in person even when we're not. So back to this news, Um, their version of achieving this likely will leverage their Oculus headset eventually, which is um, an AR, VR very a little bit clunky, a little bit expensive headset. Um, It hasn't really taken off in the mainstream market, but it does have a lot of fans um, in hobbyists and tech enthusiasts. So this is not incredibly surprising um, that they may want to, again, bridge physical and digital worlds with this pop-up store where people can, and a lot of the details have not been released because this is unconfirmed, but likely use the Oculus, probably um, have physical activities that translate to what they're seeing on their headset and vice versa. Um, this isn't incredibly surprising when you think of uh, tech brands like Apple who could exist solely online selling their products, but they do choose to invest in brick and mortar stores for more of a physical shopping experience. So as brands and as marketers, there's kind of two cues that this gives us one, an absolute important return to a physical experience that we obviously were all of deprived of for so long through the pandemic. So this is something that we we figured was going to happen, um, a return to pop-ups, events, physical stores and shops um, to sell our product, but also to, you know, what are the ways that our brands are working to connect the digital world and the physical world? And I know that's a very broad question, but it's a, it's a way to think of how we can creatively apply the metaverse technologies of the next five, 10 years. So... I guess, uh, Tommy, what do you think of this? I mean, is this is this a good brand play for Meta to make them feel more relatable? I think this is a great uh, brand play for Meta. I think 
the idea of the metaverse is so heady and kind of overwhelming. So I think the ability to walk down the street to your local metaverse store and get the new VR headset so you can go to business meetings with grandma, um, I think it's going to help a lot of people start to enter the sphere that meta wants them to join into. This is the first kind of, in my knowledge, uh, brick and mortar store for literally a social only platform. And so I think that Facebook, Facebook, Meta, still, still not used to saying that, I think that they are really trying to pioneer this space. And so by having a physical storefront, helping people enter the metaverse they're creating through the ability to buy VR headsets, AR wristbands, what have you, I think it's going to really help people kind of, you know, take their baby steps into this world that they're creating. So I think it's going to be a great, I think it's a great play for them. Yeah, the question I've been getting um, from folks when I talk about the metaverse is how do I get into it? And I think this might be the way to get into it. It's it's the beyond section of Bed Bath & Beyond. This is how we this is how we enter the metaverse. Um, all right, so let's jump over to Twitter. Uh, Tommy, talk to us about their new ad-free uh, article viewing. Yeah, so something new is hatching over at the Bird app. It's Twitter Blue. Uh, Twitter is opening a premium subscription service, which is launched in the U.S. It is also available in Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. And for the price of $2.99 a month, users will have access to several new features, um, one of which is undo tweets, a feature that allows you to retract a tweet within 30 seconds of it being posted. You can bookmark and categorize your saved tweets into like topic folders. You can turn tweet threads into clutter-free easy to read text with reader mode, and there's a lot more. But I think the two most noteworthy features uh, for Twitter Blue are first, the feature that lets people view ad-free articles on uh, participating websites, uh, sites like the Washington Globe. Um, I think the two most noteworthy features for Twitter Blue so far are first, its ability to view ad-free articles on participating websites like BuzzFeed, The Atlantic, WAPO, and Twitter still gives a portion of revenue from Twitter Blue to those sites. So even if you're supporting, even if you're using Twitter Blue, you're still supporting journalism, which we love that. And second, Twitter Blue will now offer a roundup of the most shared articles from the people you follow called Top Articles, which updates every 24 hours. So not all of these features are groundbreaking or stop the world noteworthy. I'm still not sure how undo tweet is different than just deleting a tweet after you post it. But again, I think the ad-free articles and top articles features are very exciting. I think through these developments and also with stuff like Twitter's newsletter and super follow feature, we're seeing Twitter position itself as, you know, sort of the place to come and get your news and get your hot takes and your discourse from the publications and creators that you know and trust. I mean, I personally love Twitter. It's the place I think the most uh, online culture and conversation happens. I think Twitter knows that too and are focusing on buffing out the features that help keep the discourse machine going, if you will. Um, and it's still very early days. This is really just launching. So it's pretty, it's too far early to tell if this will be a success or not. But I think there's a certain population of terminally online people. I myself am one of them who are going to kind of eat the service up. And so I'm interested to see uh, what comes of it. Yeah, I, you know, you you have admitted being on Twitter a lot. Is this a feature for you? Is this something you could see yourself actually signing up for? 
the problem is I actually do see myself signing up for Twitter Blue in the future. Good. I think I think I'm the problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I love that they're leaning in uh, so so hard to journalism and the truth. I think that's a really interesting lane for them to take. Amanda, what do you what do you think about this? I think this is very smart, and I agree with both of you guys. They they understand what their users are doing, and they're figuring out how to support more of that behavior. It's also the um, I would say acceleration of a new economy. Follow me, guys. Here, where we are thinking about curation as a service. Um, you might've heard that phrase before. And really what it means is there's so many things in the internet, so many websites, so many articles, and it's all interesting. Some of it's true. Some of it's not, some of it's relevant, some of it's not. So what you'll see are, um, content creators, I guess you could call them, um, influencers and brands finding a role, a very valuable role in curating the content that someone sees. So to your point, Tommy, like if you're following someone and you, you subscribe to their, newsletter on Twitter and you get access to these exclusive um, content or ad-free content, they're really leaning into that service of curation as an offering that brands and people can tap into. And we'll be seeing more of it, um, again, as the, the internet just expands with, with Web3 and everything else happening. I, I do think this will be a role that brands can fill and that creators can fill as well. And Twitter might be the first to pioneer um, how that actually operates. Yeah, that is um, that that that's a big statement. I like that that idea of this new economy. I really like that. Um, speaking of the economy, let's talk about shopping. Shopping on Instagram. Talk to us about it, Amanda. What are they up to? Shopping on Instagram and Facebook, the social platform, not Meta, the metaverse company. Um, Instagram and Facebook have announced that they will be launching live stream shopping, shockingly, just in time for the holidays. And this is funny because um, last week, if you listened, we talked about live stream shopping, how it kind of denotes this sense of urgency and has taken off with um, apps like the sneakers app. Um, so this is not surprising. And even to kind of go back to what we we're talking about of a shopping experience, this live stream video where you have a human host, you have different brands being piloted, you have um, what they're calling daily drops and exclusive deals available. It does create, you know, we talked about a retail experience. This does create an experience digitally that will get people excited and it will get people to tune in. And, you know, some brands, it'll be a, a test and learn experimental phase for the next, you know, um, season or, or year. But it's really interesting. And I think it will be very effective. We, we all, again, want to buy something that we feel a connection to. Um, so this is just another way that we can create that emotional, like human tie to a brand or product versus, uh, you know, uploading it to an e-com website or trying to make that connection any other way. Yeah. I mean, do we think this is something brands will be excited about? Do we, do we think that, uh, this, this kind of access on Instagram is, 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 is all upward for the brands? Yeah. And, I also think that, yes, Joey, I think it'll be very exciting for especially like CPG brands or fashion brands or a lot of beauty brands are part of the pilot program. Um, but Facebook and Instagram, as they're launching this, are putting an emphasis on hashtag what they're calling hashtag buy Black Friday, which is obviously shopping black owned businesses around the holidays, as well as um, a spotlight on local and sustainable small businesses. So while there's obviously a place for large brands to play, it does not seem like these will be exclusive tools or pay-to-play <clears throat> features that smaller local brands can't buy into. Again, when you're when you're a small brand, you need to make that connection and try to cut through um, the clutter or the noise of your industry. So this 
this will become, I think, a very creative and fruitful space for brands. Yeah, I mean, we've heard Zuckerberg talk about um, small businesses before and how, you know, Facebook ads really benefit that. So it's it's nice to see them sort of leaning heavily into that. Tommy, uh, what do you think about this? I think this is very exciting. Uh, one thing, Amanda, that uh, you didn't touch on, which I think is a really key point to the story, is that Facebook is giving uh, vendors $15 free credits for shipping. So it's literally paying for vendors to ship products to consumers so that way consumers can have free shipping in time for the holidays. I've never really seen that sort of practice happen on a social platform as an e-commerce site. And so I think it's interesting that Facebook and Insta are really trying to integrate themselves both with the actual seller and with the buyer um, in a way that I think is exciting. And also it's interesting to see how this will carry over beyond the holidays, beyond possibly this trend of live stream shopping. We don't know how much legs this sort of practice is going to have. But I think what we're going to feel is that people will get used to or appreciate the free shipping coming from Facebook and Insta, and they'll start turning to those sites more and more to do their shopping. I mean, obviously, they're not wanting for more business right now in terms of e-commerce. They're kind of breaking it in. But I think this is going to be a really helpful thing for all sides involved to help, one, like finish through these busy times of the holidays, and two, really make a connection between brand and consumer. That's a good point, Tommy, and it directly goes against, um, it, it clarifies who the direct competitor is, which is a to-be-named retail giant that generally offers free shipping within 24 to 48 hours. And so when you think about it with the context of we are in a global um, supply chain you know, crisis, small businesses, sustainable businesses, local businesses are not generally as impacted as a large um, you know, big box retailer might be. So Facebook betting on highlighting these brands and these companies is not only good for the smaller local retail, but it also makes business sense too of if we can position a small local brand to get goods to you as quickly as a big box retailer, like that's a win for shoppers. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, let's keep up talking about uh, shopping and holidays. Tommy, talk to us about TikTok. They, uh, they published their holiday campaign guide. What's it all about? Yeah, so happy holidays, everyone. Um, even though I don't believe in celebrating Christmas until after Thanksgiving, I'm a bit of a purist. Mariah Carey is not on my playlist right now. Um, TikTok feels differently and has published a new guide to help marketers maximize their holiday campaigns on the app. Um, the guide outlines key insights into usage trends, critical dates for planning, ad tips, templates, and more. It goes into content trends, how users spend their time on the app. It's a it's a really lovely 16-page short uh, report. I recommend checking out the whole thing. But I want to go into some of the highlights of it. Um, there are some amazing stats about discovery. TikTok says 39% of users say they discovered a product or brand on TikTok that they, that they didn't know about before. And 47% of users say that they have bought something they saw on TikTok. I think that just goes to show the power of not just the all-knowing, all-powerful algorithm, but also the relationship that users have established with the app. I think there's a, a comfort and familiarity that is necessary to lead to that much purchasing happening on TikTok. The report also has some great checklists and schedules on how to properly go about a TikTok holiday campaign. Long story short, start planning and ideating now. Have a strategy, budget, and target audience ready in about two weeks, so Thanksgiving or so. And then in three to four weeks, finalize the creative and set it out into, into the void. 
Um, they also gave best practices in order to maximize the campaign's potential. Like one is to broaden your audience. Uh, broad audiences tend to perform much better on the app than targeting niche subcultures. I'm not sure I'm going to see, you know, a Bud Light target the kind of alt lesbian side of TikTok I find myself on right now. Um, <laughs> and also they say, ideally, uh, refresh your creative content once every week to keep things going. Um, and again, the whole thing's worth checking out. It's, it's short, it's sweet. There's some lovely charts and diagrams. And I hope the holiday sees us all have successful campaigns and viral TikToks. So, uh, you, Tommy, you, you shared a lot of uh, data with us from that. Um, what sort of stuck out to you the most? I think, again, the fact that almost half of TikTok users have bought something from the app. And when you think of literally just the numbers, that is 500 million people. That is just an insane. I mean, I'm seeing, Joey, your eyes. Famously, podcasts are a visual medium. I'm seeing your eyes widen at that. But I think just, again, the power that TikTok has as an e-commerce site. And e-commerce has come only recently to the platform compared to, you know, like other long existing competitors. So in that short amount of time of launching e-commerce to have that many users purchase something, I think is a pretty powerful stat. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, Amanda, is this, is this the gift marketers have been waiting for? Is this the kind of thing that we like at this time of the year to see? It is at this time of the year, as well as this time in probably the decade as this year, a, a lot of different studies, you know, it ranges, but they believe holiday spending will be up around 7% this year than last year, which is a lot. Usually we see that number to be one, two, three-ish um, plus or minus. So to be up 7%, not to add more data to the data, but when we're thinking globally, 7% more spending and half of TikTok users are buying something. I'm, I can't do the math. I'm sure someone very smart could do it. But that is a recipe for ensuring that your brand has some kind of e-commerce um, experience that either is within TikTok or extending from TikTok. All righty. Um, let's bring it home here. Tommy, talk to us about um, Facebook adding creator monetization tools in response to Apple's fees. This is a big one. Yeah, so to quote another terminally online person, Azalea Banks, um, the girls are fighting. The girls being Facebook and Apple, of course. Um, Facebook, now Meta, is not happy with Apple and the fact that they take 30% of the money that fans pay to subscribe to Facebook creators along with any other in-app purchase made on the Facebook app. In response to these fees, the platform has introduced a new redirect process that will help creators guide potential subscribers to sign up outside of the Facebook app, thereby avoiding Apple's 30% cut. And Mark Zuckerberg, the podcast's favorite boy, stated that as we build for the metaverse, we're focused on unlocking opportunities for creators to make money from their work. The 30% fees that Apple takes on transactions makes it harder to do that. So we're updating our subscription products. So now that creators can earn more, end quote. Um, I am just living for this drama. I love the fact that Facebook is being explicit about its beef with Apple. And it'll be interesting to see how and if Apple retaliates against Facebook's latest attempt to kind of subvert its revenue collection process. So Tommy, what I was curious about was, so this, this 30% is very controversial that you've, that you brought up and, you know, there seems to be ties in the other 
things that we talked about today, if you if you think about uh, Facebook going into retail stores, we mentioned Apple in that conversation. We mentioned the small businesses push, which was also a bit of a, an attack on Apple at the 30%. And so what I'm curious about is who benefits from this like tit for tat between Facebook and Apple? That's a great question. Um... Because the problem is Facebook has so much negative attention towards it at basically all times. It's kind of unavoidable for the platform. And Apple also has been getting into some trouble, which we'll talk about later with Amanda, um, with this sort of transaction fees. And it's even been in court over this sort of thing before. So I think in this moment, Facebook's winning because they are attaching themselves to a wave of attack against Apple for this. I think rightfully so. Um reason 30 percent cut is a lot for something apple takes no part in whatsoever it's truly between facebook creators and facebook um, audiences and that's a pretty substantial amount of money to take for literally just hosting the service and so i think in this scenario facebook does come out on top but i think it's interesting to see one i love facebook taking a win right now they they need one um given all they've been through in the last two months or so but i think yeah, I think the, there's no real clear winner yet, but I think that Facebook is certainly, it's a better look than Apple. I mean, this sort of thing is, this literally is for optics. Like the fact that Mark Zuckerberg was so direct with his uh, attack on Apple, this is a game of optics. So I think yeah. in this moment, Apple has the, no, Facebook, sorry, has the one up. Facebook took this round. Okay, so you you sort of teased this out and I want to talk to Amanda about this a little bit. Tell us a little bit about Epic Games, the people who make Fortnite and their troubles with Apple and how this is similar. Yeah, so this is a little chapter of the same story where over the past, I'd say, six months, um, Epic Games and Apple have actually been engaged in a legal battle um, that's, you know, bringing up antitrust concerns around whether payments made within the Apple iPhone environment, um, if Apple is allowed to take a cut of those pieces. So they've been going back and forth on this for probably six months to a year. And it ended actually with Apple pulling the Fortnite app from its app store, which obviously is not a very popular decision. Um, and actually at the time of this podcast, there is an update within around the date of November 10th in that um, the judge that has most recently overseen the decision to um, decide for or against Apple in this case has decided that Apple needs to actually comply with antitrust laws and allow for third-party transactions to be made on the platform. So this is in a case that, uh, this is within a case that applies to the Epic Games specific concerns that they had over third-party payments. But I would not be surprised if we saw this ruling um, eventually apply to what Facebook is concerned about as well. And, and it sounds like, one, it sounds like Apple will probably um push back and appeal this decision. But two, it sounds like there may need to be large changes on the way that Apple manages its payments in and around its apps. It all sounds very epic. <laughs> no, but these these big court battles uh, between tech giants is definitely something we will keep an eye on because this is interesting to us as it affects uh, the platforms and the folks that um, we work with day to day. So uh, thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Tommy. That, that was all great insight today. Um, 
And thank you, the listener. If you don't already, please be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple, or literally wherever you get podcasts, except for Facebook. We're not there yet. Uh, questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, send those over to podcast at gray.com. Again, thank you to Tommy and Amanda for joining us, Danielle and Guy behind the scenes. Thank you, the listener. Have a great week. And in the meantime, be social. The Five Things are produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin, with support from post-producer Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com. <laughs>